Do that work. Having received this great compassion, let us be a people of compassion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, it's good to be with you. My name is Halim Sah. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. We're going to be continuing in the Gospel of Matthew today. Last week, Matt showed us in Matthew chapter 9 that our God, he's not just the God of power, but that he's the God of compassion, of compassion. We just finished our series called Fathom, in which we were looking at the miracles of Jesus together, in which we were looking at Jesus' authority put on display, Jesus' power put on display, right? As he healed every sickness and every disease, as he calmed the wind and the waves, as he cast out demons, as he forgave sins, Jesus' power put on display. But all along, hopefully you've been seeing it, Matthew has been showing us this truth that yes, Jesus has the power, he has the authority to do all sorts of miracles, but the reason... The reason he did any miracle was not just to show off, but because he's compassionate. Because he's compassionate. As he looked upon people who were suffering from all sorts of sickness and disease, he looked upon them and he had compassion for them. And that's why he healed. He looked upon a people who were so oppressed and he had compassion for them, and that's why he cast out demons. He looked upon a people who were so lost and enslaved by the power of sin in their lives, and he had compassion. He was moved to compassion, and so that's why he forgave. When he sees us in our pain, he's moved by it. He's moved by it. It affects him. The word compassion in Latin literally means to suffer together, to suffer with. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. We believe in a God who is compassionate. We believe in a God who didn't leave us in our suffering, but we believe in a God who has come down to suffer together with us and for us. You go to any other place of worship, any other temple, worshiping any other God, bringing before that God your suffering and pain. And all you'll ever hear is, well, you're suffering because of your sins. You go to any other temple worshiping any other God and you say, God, I'm suffering. Here's my pain. And all you may ever hear is, I promise to deliver you from that suffering, but you got to do this, 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 this. It's only in Jesus that you have a God that you could come before and say, Jesus, here's what I'm going through. Here's the suffering. Here's the pain. Here's the despair. Here's the loneliness. And it's only in Jesus you have a God who says to you, I know. I know what it's like. I've experienced it. I've felt it. I've felt the suffering. I've, I've, felt, I've felt the pain. I know what it's like to cry. I know what it's like to weep and cry out in anguish and agony. I know what it feels like to be rejected. I know what it feels like to be abandoned and betrayed. I know. Church, whatever you're going through today, whatever suffering, whatever pain, whatever loneliness, whatever it is you have in Jesus, a God who says to you, I know, I know what you're going through. That's what it means to be compassionate, to suffer with, to know the deepest, darkest pains that one is going through. And so as Christians, because we have a God of compassion, we're called to be a people of compassion. 
We're called to be a people who don't abandon others in their pain and oppression, but we wade into it and suffer with them so that we can point them to someone named Jesus who waded into our humanity, into our pain. And that's the main point of the message today in Matthew chapter 10, that since we have a God who is compassionate towards us, we are to be a people who are compassionate towards others. Because we've been shown compassion, we show compassion. And Matt started us down this path last last week. How do we become a people that are compassionate? Well, first by praying for people. Without prayer, we can't be a people of compassion. Last week, we saw how Jesus looked upon the crowds, and it says he had compassion for them, and he called his disciples to pray for them, to pray earnestly to God that God would send out more laborers into the harvest, more laborers to lead them, more laborers to serve them and point them to Jesus. And now what we're going to see immediately following here in Matthew chapter 10 is that Jesus' disciples are about to be the answer to their own prayers. Oftentimes when we begin to pray earnestly that God would meet someone's needs, he moves in our hearts to be the answer to our own prayers, right? God, will you please help this person? And God's answer is yes, go and help the person. He answers prayers through us. And so Jesus' disciples, the ones who just prayed for laborers, are the ones that are going to be sent out to be the compassionate laborers who point people to the compassion that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we look at the text today in Matthew 10, 1 through 15, I want us to see three things about this ministry of compassion that we've been entrusted with. First, compassion requires community. It requires community. With Apart from community, we can't be compassionate. Second, compassion labors for acceptance. We labor so that people might accept the gospel and trust in Jesus. Third, compassion prepares for rejection. While we labor so that people might accept the gospel and trust in Jesus, we have to be prepared for the fact that people will reject us. First, compassion requires community. Matthew 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We see here, first, the requirement of community in the ministry of compassion. Community in three ways. First, Jesus calls us to community with himself. Look at verse 1. And he called to him, it says. And Mark tells us in the parallel passage... Mark chapter 3, verse 14, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him, it says. First, community to Jesus. Second, Jesus called them to community with each other, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them, right? But not just in the context of the 12 are they to be in community, but again, Mark tells us that Jesus, tells, Jesus sent them out two by two. And you can pick up on the language also in Matthew if you look at it carefully. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. 
Philip and Bartholomew, two by two, right? They were called to community with Jesus and they were called to community with each other. And third, they were called to community with the lost. Uh, Jesus tells them in verse six to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in verse 11, he tells them even to stay in their homes while they're ministering. And so he's calling them not just to a general association, not just to a general acquaintance level of relationship with people that don't know Jesus, but an intimate community with unbelievers. Community doesn't get much more intimate than you living in their house, right? Staying at their homes. And so community with Jesus, community with each other, with other believers, and in community with the lost, with people that don't know Jesus yet. This is the, this is the highway, if you will, the pathway through which our compassion comes from God through us and to the lost. Take any one of these out and our compassion will break down and, and die out. And so first ask yourself, how, how, do you have these relationships? Do you have this community? First of all, with God. Second, with other believers. And are you in a meaningful relationship, intimate community with people that don't know Jesus? And so our compassion starts with being with Jesus, but extends all the way out to the lost. Look at verses one and two again. And he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. So first notice that these are called the 12 disciples in verse one, but then they're called the 12 apostles in verse two. The word disciple simply means a learner. The the Greek word matetes means a learner, while the word apostle, apostolos, means sent out ones. What's happening here is that learners are becoming sent out ones. Learners, students, are being sent out. As a disciple, you learn simply by being with your teacher. And by this point, Jesus' disciples had been with Jesus in a meaningful, intimate community with Jesus for a period of months by now. What Matthew 10 is showing us is that being with Jesus is critical. Being with Jesus as a believer, it's, it's primary. It's what comes first. We're, called, we're first called to be disciples of Jesus. We're called to learn from him. We can never hope to be a compassionate people of God apart from going to his word, going to him in prayer and learning about this compassion that he has for us. And as a Christian, your primary calling is to be with him. Just as Jesus called his 12 disciples, what what does it say? So that they might be with him, right? The reason why he saved you, the reason why he's called you to himself is to first and foremost to be with him. It's your first calling, but do we treat it as our first calling, right? Do we wake up in the morning and think to ourselves, what's my first calling today? What's the most important thing for me to do today, right? As we assess 2019, examine our lives, do we think to ourselves, how was I faithful to my first calling, to be with Jesus? Was I with Jesus this year? As you look forward, are you thinking about your first calling? But something else Matthew 10 is showing us is that eventually being with Jesus, really being with him, learning from him is going to do something in us. Perhaps some of us are thinking, well, I think I do pretty good at being with Jesus. Well, how can we really know? Matthew is giving us a litmus test here. 
The litmus test for having really been with Jesus is that, yes, he'll teach you and he'll do incredible things in your life, but then he'll send you out and call you to be a part of him doing incredible things in other people's lives. The litmus test to really knowing that you've been really with Jesus is this, have you experienced him sending you out? Have you experienced him sending you out? He wants you to be a learner, yes, but he's never satisfied with you just being a learner. He's going to send you out, just like he did with his disciples. He wants you to do something with the things that he's taught you. He wants you to do something with the things that he's accomplished in you. It's not just for you. He said this about Abraham, right? I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing. We're blessed so that we might be a blessing. Oftentimes we we pray and we ask God, God, will you please bless me? God, will you please bless me? But why should he, if the blessing that he blesses us with simply just gets clogged up in our lives? Like we're the source of blessing constipation or something. You know, like blessing ought to just flow right through us. You know, maybe taking it a little bit too far, but I want you to remember I want you to remember, when we are blessed, when God blesses us, it can't get clogged up. It can't stay within our lives. We can't keep it private. It has to go through us and to other people. And so if you've always just been kind of content with never telling anybody about Jesus, that's a really good sign that you've never actually been with Jesus. Church, if you've never felt this sense of being sent out, this, this feeling in your gut, this compassion in you that's like, I got to tell somebody, right? This good news of the gospel, it's so good, I can't keep it to myself. This work that God has done in my life is so good, I can't keep it to myself. I have to tell somebody. If you've never felt that, if you've never experienced that, that's a really good sign that you've never actually been with Jesus. Or this is how I know. If there's ever a season in my life, and there's been many, where I'm just kind of apathetic to sharing the gospel. There's not even an urge in me to want to share the gospel with people. I know that I haven't been meeting with him. I know that I haven't been meeting with Jesus. Maybe I've been reading the Bible. Maybe I've been praying. Maybe I've been coming to church, kind of just going through all the motions. But deep inside, I know I haven't been meeting with Jesus. There's a difference between reading the Bible and meeting with Jesus. So men, I don't know. Maybe it's like, you, if you, could you have a relationship with Michael Jordan, right? He's your friend. Michael Jordan's your friend. And could you be kind of content that just kind of keeping it to yourself, right? Like you, every weekend, you play ball, pick up games with MJ, right? But you're like, you know, it's just a private matter between me and MJ, you know? I'm just going to keep it to myself. I don't want to offend anybody else and who they play basketball with. So I'm just going to keep it quiet, right? Could you do that? Or my wife, Angela, she legitimately thinks that if she were to ever meet Jennifer Garner, that they would be best friends, right? She's a celebrity, so if you don't know who she is, insert your own celebrity crush, Taylor Swift or whatever, right? So if Jennifer Garner were to call you every day and she's like, so how you doing? What's going on, right? Could you be able to keep that to yourself, right? You would be annoyingly telling people, right? Oh, it's my friend Jen again, Jennifer Garner, I'm sorry, right? Jennifer Garner calls you to just check up on you, you know? And it seems like a ridiculous comparison to make, but you have the king of the universe calling you every morning, all throughout your day, every day, 
saying to you, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. How's your day going? What's going on? I want you to tell me about it. Could we keep it to ourselves? Many of us do. We keep it to ourselves. How can we? Experiencing Jesus' compassion and reaching out to you will always produce a compassion in you to reach out to others. You won't be able to keep it to yourself. This is why Peter and John say in Acts 4, when they're being even threatened with imprisonment and death for preaching the gospel, they say, we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and what we have heard. They say we cannot stop speaking of. What is that saying? They're saying, we don't have the power. We don't have the power to keep it down. This news in us, this good news, this, 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 uh, this gospel that has saved us, right? We can't keep it to ourselves. We are powerless to keep it to ourselves. And church, I'm not trying to make light of it because being sent out and telling people about Jesus, it's going to be hard, right? Especially amongst our 150 goers where They're every day going out and sharing the gospel. The threats are real, right? Jesus knows that. And that's why Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. He doesn't expect us, nor does he want us to go out by ourselves. But Jesus sends his disciples out two by two, not just so that they can endure through all the difficulty that comes with being sent out, but also because the community that we have with each other provides a powerful witness to the community that we have with the lost. Jesus said in John chapter 13, and this is how they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for what? By your love for one another. It's an incredible statement. He doesn't say, and this is how they will know that you are my disciples, by your love for them, by your love for the lost. He doesn't even say, and they will know that you are my disciples by your love for me, by your love for God. He says, this is how they will know. Unbelievers in this world, this is how they will know that Jesus is real and you belong to him, by your love for one another. By the way that you treat one another, as they watch you, those who claim to be Christians, as they watch you speak to one another, as they watch you serve one another. This is why the Christian community is so critical because church, Jesus is sending us out into the ministry of compassion in this way. He's saying, I don't want you to live in a bubble. I don't want you to just live with Christians, right? I want you to live amongst and be in community, real community with unbelievers. But I don't want you to do that as a lone ranger Christian. I want you to be in community with unbelievers as you're in community with each other so that the lost may see how you love and serve each other. And that's how they'll know that you belong to me. And so this is why Jesus tells his disciples, hey, don't go rent a house somewhere and and start going out and ministering to people. Go and stay with the unbelievers. If they let you stay in their house, go and stay in their house so that they can see how you live so that they can see how you treat each other, right? And see that you really belong to me. And so first, compassion requires community. And second, compassion labors for acceptance. We labor so that people might accept the gospel and trust in Jesus. But the way that people are going to accept the gospel and trust in Jesus is through our laboring. We have to work. We have to labor. 
Jesus has compassion on the lost and tells his disciples that the harvest needs laborers. And so what does this compassionate laboring look like? Let's read together. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so what we're seeing here is that Jesus' disciples are not yet commissioned to go out into all the world. That doesn't happen until Matthew chapter 28. Their first mission is to go and reach the people closest to them, their kinsmen, God's chosen people, the Israelites, because within God's redemptive plan, he was to save uh, the Israelites first and make them a nation of priests so that they would go out into the rest of the world and share Jesus. So Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of Israel, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without paying. Acquire no gold or silver or copper coin for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And so what are we seeing? So the disciples are to proclaim. They're called to declare the message of the gospel, verse 7. And then they are to demonstrate the power of the gospel, verse 8, by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, and casting out demons. Declaring the gospel with words and demonstrating the gospel with power. This is exactly what Jesus was doing, right? Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus declared the message of the kingdom in his Sermon on the Mount, and then immediately following in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, he went out demonstrating the power of the kingdom through all the miracles. And and so he's saying, everything that you've seen me do, everything that you've been learning from me, so now I'm sending you out to go and do. And he's saying, go out in the way that I went out, in a spirit of generosity and grace in order to give, not to gain, in order to serve, not to be served. Don't try to get rich off this thing, he says in verse 9. If you had the power to raise the dead, you can make some money off of it, right? Jesus says, you freely received everything you have in me. You freely received it, so now go and freely give. And so what we see here is that Jesus sent them out with a message, go and proclaim, right? Not just a way of living, And we're seeing that Jesus sent them out with the way of living. Go in the power of my gospel and serve people, not just the message. And since Jesus sent them out with the message and not just the way of living, we need to proclaim the message of the gospel to people using our words. We have to actually open our mouths and communicate the good news of the gospel in an intelligible, reasonable way to our unbelieving friends. And since Jesus sent them out with a way of living, not just a message, our ministry of compassion has to include the demonstration of the power of the gospel as we meet the desperate needs of people who may be sick, oppressed, hungry, lonely, and enslaved by the power of sin in their lives through our serving, through our loving, through our praying for healings and miracles. And here we need to remember that this is the primary context in which Jesus performed his miracles. He performed the miracles to validate the message of the gospel, to show that it's actually true. 
so that people might believe and be saved. Many times we pray for miracles and healings, right? For who? Well, for ourselves and for each other, right? And God loves to hear those prayers of faith and he answers those prayers as he sees fit. But we need to remember that for the most part, if you read through the New Testament, the miracles and wonders and healings were done for unbelievers, They were done for unbelievers. They were done for the oppressed. They were done for the marginalized so that the power of the gospel might validate the message of the gospel so that the people might believe and be saved. And so we can do that with our unbelieving friends, right? We can do that. We can be courageous and brave enough to open our mouths and actually share the message of the gospel with them, right? And then, and then say, now, is there some need? And then is there some difficult thing that you're going through? Is there some sickness that you might have that I can be praying for? That God to heal, God to come through on so that when it happens, you might know that the gospel that I've just shared with you is true. While God is sovereign over salvation, don't you think the lost and hurting people of this world will be more inclined to believe the truth of the gospel when Christians not only proclaim the message of the gospel in Jesus' name, but we actively minister to their needs and Jesus' power. And so first, compassion requires community. And second, compassion labors. We labor by both proclaiming the message of the gospel through our words and demonstrating the power of the gospel through our loving and serving and praying. And lastly, while compassion labors for acceptance, compassion prepares for rejection. Verse 14. And if anyone will not receive you, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that on the one hand, you're to be incredibly attractive. You're to go and labor and serve everybody and heal diseases and meet their needs and set people free from their oppression and ease their suffering. But on the other hand, Jesus is saying, be prepared for the fact that even though you go out and serving in this way, that they're going to face what? Rejection. Why? Because people are going to be highly offended, both in that world and in the world that we live today. They're going to be highly offended the moment We open our mouths and we speak the message of the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the only way for salvation, that there's no other way. They're going to be offended. The unbelieving world wants to experience the power of the gospel without submitting to the message of the gospel. And so we're called to labor for acceptance, but be prepared for rejection. If we go out only expecting people to accept us, and embrace the message, we're going to be crushed the first time we're rejected, right? And perhaps that's the reason many of us, we stopped sharing the gospel, right? Because we would share the gospel all day long. If every time we shared, people would just hug us and cry and weep and embrace, oh, thank you so much. If everybody accepted you because you shared the gospel, why would you stop? I think the reason why many of us stop in our sharing of the gospel is because You remember that time you were rejected. You remember that time you were seen as an absolute fool, right? Because you weren't prepared. You weren't prepared for the fact that you would be rejected. 
And in fact, Jesus is sending his disciples out on a mission in which most people, most people are going to reject them. The very next verse says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, he says. And he promised it. He said, if the world rejected me, it's going to reject you. Church, we have the opportunity to be incredibly attractive to people by only serving them, by only taking the posture of giving, not taking, by only joining people in their suffering, by only praying for people to be healed and befriending lonely people. All of this we should be doing. And when we do it, the world will look at us and applaud. Say, yay, yay, you Christians. But the moment we open our mouths and we declare that we're sinners and they're sinners in need of forgiveness, the moment we open our mouths and say, Jesus is the only way to be saved, and this book that we call the Bible is God's word, and it's true, and that we need to live by it. The only way that we'll ever flourish, the only way that we'll ever truly be happy and find contentment and satisfaction is if we align our hearts to this book and submit to it. The moment we start speaking the message of the gospel, oh, how things will change very quickly. Oh, how we'll be rejected and seen as hateful and offensive. So why not? So why not just be kind? Why not just be gentle? Why not just serve and be attractive? Why? Why not just do that? Because no one will be saved that way. No one will be saved that way. No one ever got saved because a Christian was nice to them. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? You got saved because at one point in your life, a Christian obeyed Jesus. They were courageous enough to open their mouths and say, this is the gospel. They explained it to you, right? Even at the risk of you rejecting them, even at the risk of you saying they're stupid, they still spoke up. And they explained the gospel to you, and so you believed, and so you were saved. Jesus is calling us to be incredibly attractive through our posture, in our humility, in our serving, in our praying. Be so attractive so that if they reject you, you know it was because they're rejecting the gospel. Not anything else, right? But at the same time, be willing to be prepared to be incredibly offensive in our speaking. People are going to find the things that you say incredibly offensive. Be willing and be prepared for rejection every time you proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. Every time you proclaim that Jesus is the King of Kings and He's the only way for our salvation. And now here's a test a test to see whether we're laboring and having compassion in the way that Jesus is calling us. In the way that you minister to people, in the way that you're ministering to people, do you find that you're always offending people? Or do you find that you're never offending people? Always offending or never offending? If people never find you offensive, if you've never experienced being rejected by people because you've shared the gospel with them, then it's most likely is because you're being a coward. You may be so desperate for people to like you. You may be so afraid of people rejecting you that you're just always nice, you're always kind, you're always serving, but you're never taking the opportunity to say, Friend, and this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus has done for you. He's your only hope. And if you find that generally you're mostly offending people as you try to minister to them, 
It may be because you're speaking up a lot about the gospel, you're talking a lot, but you're not being humble, you're not being attractive in your humility, you're saying a lot of words, but you're lacking in the way that you're serving them and meeting their needs and praying for them. Jesus is telling us that in many cases, in most cases, people will reject you. And so we need to be prepared and be ready for that. If the world rejected Jesus, and if we're following Jesus, the world is going to reject us. It's just true. Come to terms with that. And when they do, not if they do, but when they do, Jesus says we have to be willing to shake the dust off of our feet. This was just an ancient Near East way of saying, you are now responsible for what I've told you. I've told you about Jesus, I've given you the message of the gospel, and I've served you in the power of the gospel the best way I know how. And now the responsibility belongs to you. It's not on me anymore. That's what shaking the dust off your feet meant. It it wasn't a, a rejection of the people. It wasn't a stomping off in anger, how dare you. It was just a way of saying, okay, now you're accountable. For all the unbelievers in your life, all the unbelievers that are around you in your neighborhood, until you tell them the message of the gospel, and until you serve them with the power of the gospel, God is saying the responsibility, the accountability is on you. It's on you. And I don't know the full depths of what all that means. But Paul says it this way. He says, because of the gospel that he's received, he says, I am under obligation, he says. Another translation says, I am a debtor. I'm under obligation, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel, he says. There's something about receiving such good news. There's something about being the recipient of something as great as being saved that it creates a debt in us, right? The gospel is free, but it creates a debt. Did you know that? Gospel is free, but it creates a debt. Not towards God. You can't ever pay him back. He's freely given it to you. It creates a debt towards other people. Because you've received it, now you have to give it. Freely receive, and so freely give. If someone were to have found the cure for cancer, and and you had cancer, and they gave it to you, and the only way this cure is going to pass on from you to another was you had to go and donate your blood that has salvation in it, right? What if you just kept it to yourself? Receiving that cure obligates you. It creates a debt in you to go and pass it forward. But here's the thing. It's not, oh, I received the gospel. I guess I got to go tell it. Oh, I received the cure for cancer. I guess I got to go pass it on. But Paul says, and so I am eager to preach the gospel to you, right? It's the greatest news in all the world, and I've been the recipient of it. And so I'm going to go share it, right? And so church, because we have a God of compassion, we're called to be a people of compassion. We've received compassion from God. And so we owe compassion. We owe compassion to other people. And we ought to be eager to share it with them because it's so great. We're called to be a people who don't abandon the lost in their pain and oppression, but we wade into it. We suffer with them because Jesus wade 
waded into our, our humanity, into our brokenness, into our shame to suffer with us and for us so that we can be saved. And so as we do, Jesus is saying to us, even if we go out with the most loving and humble posture possible, with the completely pure attitude of serving others, that we're going to be rejected. You know, sometimes we think, if I just say it right, right? Sometimes we think, if I just do all the right things, then they'll accept me, right? If anybody ever said everything perfectly, if anybody ever did everything perfectly, to reveal the gospel, to offer the invitation of the gospel, it was Jesus, right? And yet he was rejected. And so we will be rejected. But Jesus is saying, still, go. I'm sending you out. Why? Because that's the heart of Jesus. Because that's what represents the compassion of Jesus. He leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. In Jesus, we have a God who in his enduring compassion is willing to face 99 rejections so that he can bring in the one. And so that's how you were saved. That's how we were saved. That's the manner in which he came after us, right? And so how about us? Are we willing to be rejected 99 times in our sharing of the gospel so that the one person might believe and accept the gospel and trust in Jesus and the angels rejoice? Are we willing? Have we been entrusted with, have you been the recipient of this great compassion of God in moving heaven and earth to come near to you, not abandon you in your suffering, in your sin, but he took upon it himself He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Have you been the recipient of such compassion? And do you feel, do you feel that compassion that needs to come out? Do you feel a owing? Do you feel a debt to go and eagerly, because it's the greatest news in all the world, to go and declare that good news? Let's be a church that does that. Let's pray together. So church, right now, will you once again ask God, Lord, who, who's the unbeliever that you've placed in my life? Who's the person that's in my life and been in my life for a long time, but I've yet to open my mouth and share the gospel with them and explain to them the good news of the gospel and what you have done in my life. Will you pray and will you ask him that he would do a work in you to once again renew in you, stir up in you this greatness of this gospel, the greatness of the compassion that he has shown you, the price that he was willing to pay to bring it to you so that you might believe and be saved. You would consider it so great that you would be eager to finally obey and go share the good news of the gospel. The reality is, is that Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and many will reject you. It's both. As we look upon the unbelieving world, we ought to think to ourselves, 
The harvest is plentiful. There's so many people that God's going to save. There's so many people that are going to hear and believe. And I can't wait to be able to share the gospel with many of them and experience Jesus saving them. And many will reject. Because they rejected Jesus, they're going to reject us. But the question is, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy enough for us to bear the shame? Is he worthy enough for us to bear the rejection? So that the one that Jesus has in mind might hear through you and be saved. And all the angels rejoice. Father, we ask that you would make us a people that do that. We want to experience it for ourselves. Do that through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.